welcome to Product Pioneers and a new episode. So today, my guest is a very dear person to me. I've seen his progress. I've seen him going from investment banking at Citibank, working in the finance field, to completely switching careers, coming into building his own fintech, and then moving up to Berlin and becoming the first hire of one of the most innovative startups in Berlin, which is in the insurtech uh, space that raised $30 million in their Series A funding round, Koya. So basically, because I know so much about him, I'm super excited to introduce uh, what he's done during his career and the path that he's taken. This guy accidentally fell into product management, as he said. Super excited for us to hear more about him. Welcoming Kareem Biltaji. Let's go. All right. So, Kareem, accidentally falling into product management. Tell me about that. I started my career more in the finance space, so working in investment banking, and um, I was quite frustrated by just the level of responsibility that you get, like being a junior in investment banking. And even though we were working on quite like high-profile uh, deals and, and transactions, uh, still um, just in big companies, there's such a big chain of people that you kind of have to go through. So the level of responsibility you get when you start out there is relatively low. So my goal was always to try to start my own company, and uh, I did that after I left banking. I had some exposure to startups after working in an incubator for a while, um, but that was also more kind of in the fundraising and the financial areas. But when I was starting my own company, I think I accidentally fell into being a product manager, and this is uh, something that's quite typical actually for uh, CEOs and founders in the early stages, that they are usually the product manager before a formal product manager is actually hired into the company. Um, it's usually because they uh, typically hold the vision of the company, the product vision of where they want the product to go. And when you're quite limited in the number of people that you have, generally founders are uh, the first kind of product managers in the company. Um, so I think at the time I was building a goal-based saving product in, in Egypt. Um, so again, quite a different uh, environment that, to what I was used to working in the UK and in Germany. Um, and the product also was a fintech product in, in Egypt. So involved also a lot of uh, user research at the beginning. So to me, I didn't really know about product management so much um, before this experience, but We were doing a lot of user research, talking to people about how they save, uh, what they currently do, what are their pain points um, in saving today. Uh, we kind of collected all this information together and then created kind of a list of actions that people wanted to do. Um, later, I had shared this with um, one potential investor that we were talking to, and she was telling me, oh, so these are your user stories. And I'm like, No, they're not stories. They're fact. They're true. Um, and she's like, no, they're actually called user stories. And that's the correct term in, in product management. And uh, that's kind of how I started to become a bit more accustomed to some of the terms that are used in product and formalize a little bit how I worked. Um, but I always found that um, product is quite a generalist uh, area. And I think if you have just a solid kind of business background and commercial awareness, you can actually quite easily uh, grasp the general topics. Um, it's more about just framing kind of in a way that 
other product people and developers are also more accustomed to and used to. Um, but a lot of, of product work, I think, is generally common sense. So um, it's mostly about understanding really the, the customer's needs, understanding the business value, uh, and being able to prioritize um, and coordinate the implementation of certain features to to accommodate for that. So, yeah, I think initially um, that was kind of my first exposure to, to product. I uh, was working with uh, one designer, um, kind of basically just building wireframes. Didn't even call them wireframes at the time. I called them mockups, which is also another name that's used, but just because we used to use a tool called mockup. So I thought they're called mockups because we used mockup. But yeah, just building different mockups, um, then detailing kind of how that would work also in terms of backend flows. So we were doing kind of even system architecture diagrams. I used to just call them, you know, like box and arrow plots because it's literally just a box and an arrow of how data flows into the system. But yeah, I think a lot of the things are typically kind of common sense. Uh, the framing and the structuring of a product and uh, gives you a good base to then talk about it with other people and to make sure that you have a common language. Um, but I think yeah, most of, of the topics are generally quite common sense when it comes to business. Um, I think, so this was like really my first experience with product. And then I moved to back to Berlin and, and started working with Koya, where I joined as the first employee there. And um, I started also more on the business side, but always working very close with the product team. Again, user research, understanding customers' needs, refining kind of some of our initial hypothesis about what the product should do and the features in the product. And then uh, I later actually became a full PM uh, managing the front-end team. So there I started to uh, also kind of more be accustomed to different kind of methodologies, like agile methodologies, working with Jira, communicating with developers, uh, making sure that we have kind of the correct requirement from our business stakeholders. Koya is also a fully regulated insurance company. So... Um, in terms of the requirements that we have is usually a level higher um, because we have certain legal requirements or compliance risk requirements. Um, so you really need to kind of work quite a lot upfront to get a feature kind of ready for development, um, which I think is mainly the, the role for product and then uh, understanding the value of it and prioritizing and building stuff at the right time. Um, so yeah, that's where I kind of more developed as a product manager, but, uh, yeah, my first experiences was just coming more from the business side. Because I, I've seen your experience from the beginning, starting off as a CEO and you're like the living example of learning by doing product, you know, and it was funny because we kind of all, both uh, fell in the same direction, but with different uh, sectors and different industries. And we had no idea that we we're actually doing product management. Like you said, uh, calling uh, wireframes mockups because you're using mockups and user stories and everything. So my question is, what is the, what did you see the differences between being a CEO and being a product manager? So what are the differences there? What are the similarities that you saw when you were doing mm -hmm. both roles? Yeah, I think compared to being a CEO, I mean, the, the company that I founded in Egypt, like we never really launched the product. So at most, we were a team of eight people. So yes, I was CEO of a company, but it was relatively small scale. Even the product work that we did, we built the MVP and we, we launched the MVP uh, using mainly freelancers and, uh, and getting something live. But product never really came to the point where we had real paying customers since it was also kind of a fintech business, which needed 
quite a lot of partnerships with banks and so on to actually bring live onto the market. But we did have an MVP uh, on the market. We had 2,000 users who went in and filled out our MVP, not paying, but um, that were actually using kind of the, the products that we built. Um, however, at, at Koya, it was yeah quite different just from the experience because it was a much bigger project, um, actual budgets. Um, now we're at a point where we're 18 months into the company and we have a lot of data, a lot of uh, information about our users, bigger budgets to test out different things. Um, so I think initially in a, in a company, um, when you're when you're starting, um, I think product and the product mindset. Yes, you need to define your vision. That's usually coming also from from the CEO of the company, just the general vision of the company. Uh, but I think product also needs to uh, create kind of a product vision, um, which is the, the vehicle that helps the company get to the company vision. And I think at the start of a company, they're usually very similar. So like the company vision and product vision can be the same thing at the beginning. Uh, but I think as you grow as a company, um, you need to a little bit separate them. Um, the, they obviously complement each other. So the product vision um, should obviously complement where the company wants to go as overall, but the company vision can be a bit wider uh, than pure kind of how the product's going to look like in three to three to five years or 10 years even. Um, so I think as you get bigger, like they will diverge a bit more. If you stay small, like they're usually a bit closer together. Uh, I think especially in software companies because software companies usually um, don't have many other touch points with their customers other than through the product. Um, so the product vision and company vision are usually a lot closer. Um, but yeah, I think it was quite different though from, so my background is coming more from the finance space. And um, I think the work in, in product management also, there's a lot that you can use and apply from finance because I think in finance you learn a lot generally about business, about how businesses work, about revenue models, uh, about different ways to monetize. Um, and this is all very, very helpful uh, for a product role um, because at the end of the day, uh, most products are built in for-profit companies. And at the end of the day, most of the features that you build are to uh, yes, for the users to solve a user need, but ultimately to bring more revenue into the business. And I think having this like level of understanding of how business businesses work, uh, how uh, unit economics uh, work, what and uh, how to calculate customer acquisition cost, how to calculate customer lifetime value, uh, all of these topics that come more from the finance space are very applicable actually to product and I think um, are actually underutilized, um, especially in smaller uh, startups where it's all about trying to iterate fast and trying to move fast and, and build things. I think sometimes uh, companies can definitely benefit more from doing more evaluation, more on the financial impact of uh, the features that they're building um, and having kind of more hypothesizing around that and then really testing uh, if the result was actually achieved or not. Okay, but then if you have, like, let's say, for example, you're at a company like at Koya, you went in as a business developer, you went into product. So mm -hmm. shall we say, like, okay, what happens? What type of scenario should we work with when we have business development a department or, or a team? Uh, where mm -hmm. can we, you know, either take on certain responsibilities that could be maybe business uh, related or should we just give it all to business developers? Well, how, sh how should we work together when it comes to that? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a it's a very interesting question. Like, I think um, business development is, is sometimes different in in some companies. So, in the role that I did as a business developer at Koya was kind of more uh, strategy. Uh, so. Uh, planning, uh, so doing the business planning, financial modeling, uh, building all of the investor decks and forming kind of the company strategy, which then goes into the the pitch decks, which get pitched to investors. Um, so this role is actually extremely, extremely relevant to product. And, um, and I think I was very lucky to be able to do that role before I did product, because going then into doing a product role, I had very clear in my mind uh, what the company vision and strategy is. So it was much easier for me to be able to effectively prioritize uh, product features. Um, so this was extremely helpful. I think also really the understanding of the financial model. So for example, uh, in our financial model, we uh, like Koya sells different insurance products, depending on how much an individual insurance product costs um, or like the, rev- the revenue uh, per user basically or revenue per policy, just understanding this dynamic that basically we were going to launch with more mass market products. But in the strategy, uh, after uh, a year, we plan to then launch more higher premium products because that was the only way to really bring the unit economics to a level that make it attractive for a Series B investor. And just having this knowledge in the back of my head allows me to make much better product decisions from my point of view because it comes also from a financial understanding and from a strategic understanding of where the business actually wants to go. Um, so I think as a PM, uh, you don't have to do that role, but I think being uh, very close with management, with the strategy department, understanding really where the company wants to go, uh, how the company sees kind of the high level steps and milestones. So when the company is planning things like internationalization, will uh, determine what uh, CMS you should choose. Um, when it's planning internationalization, will also determine how you build your backend systems when you have to build kind of language support in there or in fintech, especially like if you're building an insurance product or a tax product or so on. Different regions have different uh, regulations and your system has to be able to counter for that. So if you're not thinking about that from the beginning when you design the architecture of your system or design your product or uh, making certain product decisions about tools that you're going to use or or how you build certain things, it will be much more costly later to uh, unravel this and build it again. Um, so I think just having that high-level understanding of where your business is really trying to go, what is the strategy behind that, what trends are you actually playing on, what is the target customer, it's all the basics. Um, but I think it is very easy to get vague uh, in in most companies. So these things can be very vague and people don't necessarily understand, even if they can can play back the words. Um, I think it can be quite different in understanding. Some companies also call business developers, um, especially more in the US, but salespeople. So people who do B2B sales are sometimes called business development. Um, so I'm talking more about like real more business analysts um, is also a common kind of name for that role. So basically someone who is business analyst or strategy, so someone that is looking more in terms of your product, the company vision, and tying that all kind of together and making sure that there's real alignment between where the company wants to go and the direction that the product is is going into. Yeah, that's great because uh, that's always been something that I was really confused by. 
because I, I do understand that I have to, as a product manager, I have to understand the business. I have to do my own research, my competitive analysis, all of that stuff. Um, but then the question is, where does the business development fit in here? Mm-hmm. Are they a main stakeholder in the team? Or are they someone who are on, on just my side where I can just get answers from? Yeah, what's the dynamic like, you know? Yeah. So I think the a business developer like should or like strategist or so on like yeah they do maybe similar types of research but I think they need to also look a bit broader than pure product. So if you're doing a competitive analysis for example on product you will mainly look at product flows you will mainly look at what feature sets you might look at things like how they structure the referral program, is it one-sided, is it two-sided, um, where's the incentive, these sorts of things. So real specifics about how things are displayed, how things are configured, uh, how things are built. Um, whereas a business analyst, if they're doing a competitive analysis, they will look wider kind of at which countries do they operate in, uh, when were they founded, how much funding do they have generally what does their business model look like compared to ours uh, so it's a little bit bigger picture i would say from the business side whereas product you kind of have to look much more specific at the real individual details and what actually makes your competitors products stand out uh, versus yours so it's more kind of the product research i think is more tangible so like we have an app they don't have an app whereas the business uh, analysis is kind of usually broader um, and goes kind of then more into high level things, you know, like do, do they outsource customer service or not? Because that like has maybe an impact on the level of customer service. Do they, um, I don't know, what's the strategy in terms of internationalization, internationalization versus vertical kind of uh, integration? So these sorts of much more high level topics, I think a business analyst will look at. I think it's not necessarily so important for product. But I think uh, combining these sets of information uh, give you a much better view of where you are and where you want to go. Um, so I think product research is uh, more specific, more also geared towards users and what users want, whereas business research is usually more geared at, uh, at revenue and market. That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay, here's the question that is on everyone's head, right? And I think you're the perfect person to explain it. And finally, give us a a definition. What is the difference between entrepreneurship and product management? Yeah, I think it's quite similar. I mean, like uh, still as a product manager, even if you're a product manager in in a big company, you can be very entrepreneurial. Um, Like there's even term like entrepreneur, which is like internal entrepreneur in, in bigger companies. I think being an entrepreneur, you anyway have to wear many hats. So similar to product, you need to kind of jump in wherever you're needed, um, do whatever it takes. I think product is just more specifically defined that you are uh, responsible for product um, and making sure that the product that you're building is what the customer actually wants. Um, So this is kind of the more specific uh, definition to it. I think an entrepreneur not only has to make sure that his company or her company is building a product that people want, but also that the company has enough money to stay alive, uh, that the company is operating the right strategy, that it's expanding at the right time, that it uh, is uh, funded. So you have maybe a broader, that you're not breaking any laws or regulations. So I think as an entrepreneur, you have to have maybe more hats in terms of the things that you have to care about and you have to look at. 
Uh, whereas in product, um, I think just this exclusive focus on the user, like just allows you uh, more focus and allows you kind of that space um, to to really build valuable things rather than having to always put out fires, which actually most of the time being an entrepreneur is not so glorious. It's really trying to stay alive as a company, making sure you have enough money to pay your employees next month and making sure that you can go to the next level and then keep working towards your vision. Amazing. Okay, finally, we got an answer for that. (laughs) So, okay, so you've been an entrepreneur. You've been a product manager. You've been a business developer slash analyst. I think you're the most person... Who I, who I personally know who knows uh, or been exposed to so many businesses, right, throughout your, your career. And I wanted to ask you, what, is, what are the things that you saw uh, building products for, like, uh, emerging markets and, for example, yeah, for places like um, the UK or, or Berlin, Germany, Europe uh, in specific? What's your experience with all this, with all that? So, like, how, how it's different in the different geographies or... Yeah, so basically like, okay, um, you decided to tackle Egypt to build a fintech company, you know, a, a fintech uh, product and also, um, you know, the challenges that you faced with like either like the, the central bank or the regulations um, in terms of the users and how, they, how their behavior is towards um, a fintech product, an online uh, product, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like it's it's definitely extremely different, and I think also putting it in the context of the difference between being an entrepreneur and being a product manager, I think each one is also different. Like I think being an an entrepreneur in 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 Egypt versus somewhere like Germany, like you really have to deal with so many unexpected uh, issues that that can come up. Um, like I remember I took almost a month just to and four trips to a government office just to register our office in the registered address because they always kept sending me back because they wanted a bribe basically so these are the sorts of things you have to deal with as an entrepreneur in a developing country Um, whereas for product it's again very specific about the target market and making sure you build a product that fits your target market so both of the products that I've been building at least for the last five years are more in the fintech space and I think that also comes with its own real unique challenges so I think in Developing markets, um, what we found in Egypt, at least, is financial literacy is extremely, extremely low. Only 30% of people at the time when we were building the business even had a bank account. Most online transactions, even Amazon, which only started to operate uh, after we closed the business. So there was a business before called Souk.com, which Amazon bought. Uh, I think 80% of their uh, orders are cash on delivery. Um, So it really changes the dynamics of online business, Um, just that the users are kind of, are not banked. They don't necessarily have means to pay online. They're much more skeptical also of online services, especially fintech when it comes to depositing their money somewhere. Um, I think in Europe, it's much past this stage and people kind of trust the, the services much more. So it's much easier to um, to get users onboarded. Another like difference was also kind of interesting, just the use of social media and how that also changes how you design your marketing strategy. Like, I mean, in, in Egypt, we had like next to no marketing budget. 
And I think in like two or three months, just with some organic activities, like we managed to get like 3,000 followers on Instagram by doing nothing. And like in Germany, you really have to fight for like social media followers. And like people rarely actually follow or engage with things. Um, whereas in developing countries, not just Egypt, like I mean, Brazil, I know is the same. Uh, Russia as well, like is very active in social media. So like it's it's kind of different really per country in terms of user behavior. So I think being a, a product manager, you need to be also open for these things. So when you go into somewhere, even in the same country, like in different industries, like users will behave very differently. And I think product manager by definition is a generalist. So the first thing that like I would always do as going into any product role in a company is who is the user? How do they behave and do everything that you can to really understand um, the obvious and the not obvious things about the users, about what they want, how they behave, how certain things influence their decisions, because this is definitely very different in, in different countries. I think doing business in, in different countries other than, than the product side, as I mentioned in Egypt, there was, it was just very, very different the way of doing business. But then also, I think the big difference is more just uncertainty. Um, so in Egypt, like operating there, and this is ultimately also why we uh, decided to close the business, there's just a crazy amount of uncertainty. Like while we were running this business, the, the central bank, for example, just suddenly decided to ban credit cards for online payments uh, only to basically bully Uber uh, to come to the table to pay them more tax. Um, and this for like even though only 30% were banked, so not a lot of people were using credit cards online. Uh, the biggest product that managed to do this was Uber. And then the government was like, okay, we need more tax. So they just banned that overnight. This could never really happen in, in Germany. I mean, like there's uh, regulation in place against that. You can't just make random decisions like that. Um, and I think this was also just hard for us, like to really live with this uncertainty. Um, because even then, if you do everything right, if you um, do the best user research, build the best product, amazing growth strategy, you're able to acquire customers at low level, that doesn't guarantee that you will build a successful business in, in a developing country because there's just so many external forces and influences that can affect you. Um, whereas I think in Germany um, or in Europe, more developed countries, you're much more protected against that. Um, there's also much more support. There's more investors. There's more professional services like lawyers and legal uh, services that are also designed for startups. Um, so it's it's just more supportive kind of business environment in general. Yeah, I remember the days uh, when Uber was shut off just all of a sudden. It but it's so yeah. interesting to me because I do see pros and cons to um, Germany. I see pros and cons uh, in building a product in emerging markets like um, Egypt, because you see, first of all, the opportunity there, it's so raw. So you can literally start anything and really test it out and see how it is, as long as you can cater it to the people. Because um, as you remember, Uber did that, Kareem, uh, which is like a, 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 an Uber-like app that started in the Middle East. We're doing cash-based uh, services, even though Uber's business model in the beginning was purely, yeah, we, you don't have to pay and, you know, uh, mm. and wait for change, basically. Which brings me back to the question of, you talked about the challenges. What were the opportunities that you saw in, the, uh, in these markets that, for example, might not necessarily exist in Europe and and uh, the U.S. Because I understand, for example, in Europe, you have a lot of regulations. 
sometimes it's a, it's a pain in the neck, you know, and the, also with the bureaucracy that goes with it. And yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think like in developing countries, it's like a huge opportunity. And I think uh, especially um, d digital channels just provide such a huge opportunity because typically also the demographics profile of developing countries is much more young people. Um, so in a country, let's take Egypt as an example, because I know it the best, but Egypt, more than 50% of the country is, is below 25 years old. Uh, most people like smartphone penetration is almost 100%, like actual mobile phone penetration is above 100%. So meaning each person on average has more than one phone. So you can imagine kind of a population where only 30% is banked, but people on average have more than one phone. So just the opportunity there to do something different, um, I think is huge. So you also, like fintech specifically, you also generally have this concept of switching costs. So like now if you create a slightly better uh, banking experience than Deutsche Bank, uh, maybe you can get some customers, but you have to convince the customers to actually leave their bank for you. Whereas somewhere like Egypt, 70% of people never even had a bank. So actually they can from day one go fully digital. Um, and this is now what's starting to happen. So I think um, in developing eco uh, economies, like definitely this opportunity exists. I think people are also uh, digitally advanced enough because they've been exposed to the global kind of digital trends, like through social media, through a kind of free online services. So they're able to, to use the internet to a good level. But yeah, there's just not enough kind of digital services. I think the big difference also comes from what type of product you're building. Like if you're trying to build a product that has a relatively high price point, um, so kind of a high uh, order value, probably developing uh, economies are better. So like, for example, I have a friend who uh, has, has a business, he just sold it, where they connect uh, people with car mechanics um, and they, their average order value there is like 1,500, 2,000 euros. In Germany, I think like to pay that sum online, if you're going to do like a big thing, that's okay, it's understandable um, and, and can work. I think in developing countries, uh, the products that typically work more are either free or very low price point and that products that need more volume. So something like TikTok, for example, is really huge in, in developing countries um, because it's a free product, but is all based on engagement. And, and that these are the sorts of products which I think can really scale in, in developing countries. Like I think even, even Uber now, like Uber is probably like the biggest app by far in Egypt. And, and it's, it's a big market for Uber, but the uh, price per trip, like, Whenever any of my friends kind of go uh, go back or when I have people visiting in Egypt, like literally you can take a trip from one side of the city to the other side, like one hour in the car for less than two euros. Um, so in terms of order value, it's much less. So you really need volume uh, to be able to kind of build a sustainable business in a, in a developing country. And the volume is there. And also things like customer acquisition costs are much cheaper and so on. But yeah, like I think anything where you need real volume. Um, I think developing countries is very interesting to go to. I think also developing markets now kind of create opportunities for also very new business models. So uh, for example, I have a, a friend uh, who lives and works in Indonesia and he's building a student loans business. Um, and what they, what they build there is actually 
not just so student loans wasn't also very a popular thing. So they're trying to popularize student loans. But not only are they giving loans to students so that they can go to university, but they have another angle to the business where they actually give loans to universities to expand their universities because there's not enough universities to take all the young people in the country that want to study. Um, so it just gives you a complete different angle to the business because of the wealth of opportunity that is there. But yeah, there are its own risks um, kind of involved with that. So That's amazing. Basically, whether you're a business developer or you're a product manager, we always, always, always have to kind of test out the market and research it and then see exactly how the users there behave so that we can create the best product for them, right? So yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And we see it so many times, especially that we like we lived in, in the Middle East. So we see actually how products are yeah. acting very differently towards mm-hmm. uh, users um, versus yeah. here. Yeah, so okay, so let's go back one step, one step back to you going into product management accidentally, right? So what are the first things that you mm-hmm kind of encountered of like, oh, okay, this is different or, ah, okay, this is actually quite similar to what I used to do. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think like when I, um, so my first experience with with product was when I was starting my company in Egypt. And I think there it was also very kind of early. I wasn't so much exposed to product before. So I was kind of just doing things on the fly. So making mock-ups, uh, doing user research, uh, focus groups, like user interviews, the, um, and then kind of uh, detailing like specs and, and technical requirements like for, for building the product. So this was kind of like my, my first exposure to it, but I didn't really have like something to compare it. Um, and then when at Koya, so I started kind of more on the business side and then uh, moved into product. Um, so I think definitely there is similarities that you in both roles you kind of have to understand the direction that the business wants to go. You have to understand uh, what makes you different to the market. You have to understand kind of how you make money um, uh, and what your revenue model is. But I think for for products, it's much more detail-oriented. So you really have to go into the very specifics about how things are structured, uh, how they're designed, how they look like, and how users basically want to consume them. Also... Yeah, I think both jobs also you kind of need to use like a lot of data, so internal or external data. So I think that's also kind of a similarity to it. Yeah, I don't know. How, how is it really different? I think, yeah, with product also, one of the kind of big responsibilities or the big difference is that you also work with developers. Like this is something um, that for me, at least at the beginning, was I was really like out of my depth uh, uh, there. But I think it's also one of the most exciting uh, parts of the job. Like I don't really have a technical background. I mean, I can read basic code and um, and write some basic front end stuff, but not really. I'm not really a developer or come from a technical background. And um, I think, yeah, my my advice there is just yeah, be open, uh, talk a lot, uh, ask questions. Yeah, I think most developers are also very open to really explain kind of the technical side because I think they find it interesting that someone else is interesting in what they're doing. Um, so they will always take the time to explain, explain why certain technical decisions uh, should be made this way and not this way. Um, and I think at the beginning, you just have to be 
very uh, open, really ask when you don't understand kind of what's going on. And yeah, also just be curious about kind of what the developers are doing and why they make certain decisions in a certain way. Um, I think I really learned a lot, like also during this time. I experienced this also a lot kind of between people who maybe did not work in product before or do not have technical knowledge where they draw maybe like paper mock-up of something and they're like, oh, look, we can just put a box here. It's easy. It should take five minutes. Um, and this is like a typical kind of be behavior that you see in business. And then when you talk to your developers and they're like, yeah, but like what to do this, we have to change this component in the back end and then we have to update the API and then we have to uh, add a new component in the front end and then we have to... So it's usually not five minutes um, and there's so much kind of depth uh, behind. So I think just having that appreciation also for what it actually takes to really bring a feature live. I think sometimes on the business side, you you lack this and you're, you kind of get frustrated maybe like, oh, why are they taking two months just to uh, redesign this page or whatever? Like there's a lot of thinking, there's a lot of research, um, there's a lot of technical effort also to make things simple. And I think definitely gain a lot of appreciation for this like after working more in product rather than on the business side. Yeah, this was actually what I wanted to ask you because We've worked with developers, so we know exactly that we, we need to have a certain style of communication with them, right? But then what was your experience coming in, this business guy, right? Uh, coming in to be the product manager for the front-end team. Um, how was your experience dealing with the developers? What are the do's and don'ts, in your opinion, of dealing with the developers? Like you said, for example, appreciating and, and trusting the fact that they know what they're doing, just like they can uh, trust you. Um, how was your experience in that sense? Yeah, working with developers maybe is a bit more specific, but as with any team, I think um, if you come in as a manager or, or a leader there, you, you, need to, uh, you need to gain the respect of, of your team. So I, I think I don't take it as a given like, okay, I'm the one who assigns your work, therefore you have to respect me. No, you need to earn it. Um, and I think especially... If you're, a, if you're a PM and working kind of with a technical team, they really have a complete different skill set than you have. And I think developers are more than willing usually to also allow you kind of the space to be a product manager and do kind of the product work because they also don't necessarily want to do that work. And I think if you have kind of that level of trust between you that your developers actually appreciate that you kind of know what you're doing, that you are actually prioritizing things based on business value and not just making them work on features because you felt like it and then after three months you throw it away. Um, so I think gaining this sort of respect and appreciation that, okay, PM really knows their things, like they're prioritizing really based on business value, not just based on some made-up value. So just being kind of diligent about your job, I think this definitely goes a long way. Being curious also, like really asking questions about about technical things, I think it's maybe a bit intimidating at first because a lot of new terminology, uh, you might feel out of your depth, um, but asking why certain technical decisions were made, uh, why certain technologies were chosen, uh, why things were done this way and not the other, it's also not necessarily in a accusative way, but more in a way to really understand kind of what's going on. I think that also really helps to, to kind of gain respect. And the third thing, I think sometimes I see my role, uh, I don't work directly in product uh, anymore. Um, I have uh, a wider role now, but I think one of the biggest advice that I can have also for being a, a good product manager is being responsive, like to your team. Like I think I saw my role also as a, product manager as 
chief blocker clearer in a way. Um, so whenever your developers have a blocker, they typically will raise it to you because you're the product manager. So it's your job to kind of help them clear it. Um, and I think to keep things moving and to keep um, the team also being productive, um, if a developer comes to you and, and says, hey, like I was building this feature, but actually uh, we're missing this edge case. I don't have a design for it. What should I do? And I think it makes a big difference if when a developer reaches out to you and asks you a question like that, because they're literally in the middle of writing code uh, and they ask you a question because that will change kind of how they write code. So I think being responsive and like really like trying to give them direct answers quickly uh, really goes a long way because like if you wait and say, okay, no, I only check my Slack at the end of the day when I'm done with my work, you've basically wasted the whole day of the developer. Uh, because they don't have the answers they need to actually do their job. I think that's something also a bit underestimated, like just being being there for your team, uh, helping them clear um, blockers when they come up um, and connecting them also with the right people. Like sometimes the solution is not that I, the PM would make a decision, but like also then saying, okay, like we need to then bring the designer in and, and have a quick meeting or have a quick call to then solve that, uh, that issue quickly. Um, because otherwise it really delays kind of the whole process if you don't do that. I'm loving, loving, loving the new name of Chief Blocker Clearer. We need to make this become a thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Chief Blocker Clearer, that's awesome. As a product manager, being also an entrepreneurial product manager, what is your relationship to uh, the CEO of the company? How is the dynamic there? Yeah, so at Coil, I have a very good relation to CEO. I mean, like I also joined as the first employee in the company. So we go kind of way back and uh, work together on like many different topics. So I think there's a high level of trust and um, we have a good working relationship. Like I also heard kind of before, like um, kind of people frame it this way. And I do see this to be also kind of true. Like um, I would say you're kind of head of product, CPO, VP product, whatever kind of highest product position you have in your company. Sometimes it's labeled kind of as like the deputy CEO of, of the company because the CEO is kind of uh, typically your more externally facing uh, uh, managers going to you know, conferences, events, uh, fundraising, talking to investors, talking to potential partners. So representing the company kind of more on the outside, especially as after you grow a little bit, maybe initially when you start your CEO is more internal, but typically you'd want your CEO to go more external. Whereas the product role is, is much more internal. Like the only real, you do have external touch points, of course, uh, with customers, with uh, potential service providers, you know, hiring and so on. Um, but typically your, your uh, head of product is kind of more organizing and prioritizing the internal work. Um, so that's kind of how I like to see the dynamic. So kind of one more leading the internal and one more leading the external. Um, some companies also have more operations. So then your internal management kind of then split between product, product and operations. But yeah, the CEO is usually kind of more external to that. So yeah, I think also the the key points of, of collaboration are always on, on strategy. Um, I think uh, planning things like OKRs, like there's definitely a high level of involvement between management and the product teams. Um, planning roadmaps, um, you always kind of would design something from product side and then like also discuss it with management to make sure this is really aligned with where uh, they see the company going and they want the company to go. 
Um, but yeah, I really see it kind of as a, as a collaboration. So if I can give one uh, book recommendation, one book that I, I read recently, which I, which I really like, it's called Loon Shots. Loon Shots. Which uh, is kind of a play on words between Moonshot and Looney. So it, it talks about like really how to harness and nurture kind of creativity and innovation in your company, like on a long, uh, on a long-term basis. So not just you innovate when you uh, are founded and then stop innovating. Um, and one of the core concepts also of, of that book is um, it, it was really discussing kind of the difference between like this innovative um, kind of loon shot like mentality um, and then what discussed as soldiers in, in your company. So typically at the beginning, you kind of have a lot of ideas, a lot of innovative ideas, a lot of things. We could do this. We could do this. Um, and then slowly your company kind of gets more replaced uh, with soldiers who are kind of executing um, basically w- what you're doing and kind of more uh, experiencing the more day-to-day side of your business. Um, and basically what the Loonshot kind of book was talking about was that you need these visionary people. You also need the soldiers. So basically, yeah, you have kind of your your innovators and, and your soldiers in, in a company, and you need to also find a way to harness collaboration and knowledge sharing between them because your soldiers are the people that are executing, that are really talking to customers on a day-to-day basis, uh, interacting with the product, understanding the numbers behind it. So they're very important people for the, let's, the, the other way to represent this is kind of the bottom-up view. So what's actually happening on the ground uh, and then your innovators look more from an outside-in perspective uh, and look at trends outside, look at kind of interesting things of what you can maybe do in the future. Um, but any one side will not give you innovation. So if you're only bottom-up, uh, then you're only kind of going to marginally iterate and slowly like maybe get a little bit better. Um, but very unlikely you will kind of have these big shifts which really move your business forward. Whereas if you're only innovative and only building new stuff, um, you kind of can get it very wrong, firstly, because you're not really in touch with the market and what the customer actually wants. Um, and, um, and yeah, it's kind of more this, like, um, yeah, the style where it's kind of top-down, where someone comes with a crazy idea and, and tries, tries to launch it. And, and basically this whole book kind of discusses that uh, the way to build like a sustainably creative business uh, is to really make sure that these two sides of your business are independent, but sharing knowledge and information. Um, so I think that's really interesting because I think the product role is sometimes more of the soldier role um, where you're trying to execute and trying to make things reality. Um, whereas like the CEO role is sometimes more the innovator role. Um, and then really trying to combine these two uh, and share knowledge between them, um, I think is usually the most effective way to get get something really good into the market. Putting on my uh, bucket list of books to read, yeah, that, that would be quite helpful. It's so interesting. I just remembered one day you told me that for you to be a successful product manager, you need to zoom in and zoom out and keep zooming in and zooming out to kind of create the best results possible. Mm-hmm. Can you talk? Yeah. Can you give me like a brief uh, overview on that? Like, how was your experience zooming in, zooming out? What do you do when you're zooming in? What do you do when you're zooming out? What are the things that you usually focus on once you do that? Um, yeah, I think the, the zooming in, zooming out, like you, you kind of have to do because uh, as a product manager, you need to zoom out to understand 
is what you're building actually taking you to where you want to go and constantly reevaluate that. Um, and you need to really zoom in because you need to get uh, your hands dirty in the details um, because to build and implement anything, there's always a ton of details uh, and there's always more details than you expect at the beginning um, that you kind of need to be involved in. So, for example, when we were building like some of our insurance products, for example, like you had to zoom out first, like understand the market, understand how this product is sold in other places, um, understand um, what are what's the insurance product, what are the risks involved with this product, uh, what sort of price points you have, like kind of really the high level um, kind of things to evaluate. Is this something we actually want to do or not? Um, but then when you get into execution, you have to really zoom into the real specifics about um, does this product have a deductible? Does this product, what information do you require from the user for them to be eligible? What information do you need to then create a contract? And you have to really go in depth into these details. Um, but then again, you have to zoom out to think about like, okay, where should we uh, place this product? Like where... Uh, how does it fit within our whole product portfolio? Like, how should we market it in relation to the other products in our portfolio? So there's this constant, like, back and forth. Um, but, yeah, I think that's also kind of traits of, of, of a successful product manager, so someone that can go in the details and be able to ask questions, answer questions about the real specifics about what is going on in the front and in the background. Um, but at the same time, understanding how implementing this feature actually affects the big picture of your company and of your product and what impact you expect this to have on the overall performance of your product. That's very true. I think most of us fall under the trap of staying zoomed in all the time, forgetting that we need to zoom out to see exactly the type of impact that it's making. Like you said, the effect that it could make overall to the product and to the company. But most of our conversation so far has been purely focused on business to product, right? So my question for you is, let's say me, Fran, as an example, right? Um, I'm not a finance expert. I have no experience whatsoever when it comes to the, the financial part of the business. However, I'm very interested into going into fintech, for example. Can um, mm -hmm. a non-finance, non-business related person go into product management in the fintech industry or um, an industry like fintech something with heavy data sets yeah yeah i think absolutely i think like the to me product is more of a mindset um, and is highly applicable across companies and industries so of course like based on the product that you build there's specific things you might need to learn uh, they're usually more in the area of regulation, uh, to be honest. Um, but when it comes to just understanding your customer, I think the, it's, it's the same wherever you build a product. So if you're building also a fintech for B2C customers or for B2B customers, it's totally different. Um, but still, it's, you have an end customer. Um, you need to understand the customer's needs, um, their behaviors, uh, what their pain points are, uh, and then you need to design a product that caters for, for that. Um, so I think wherever industry that you go, this always will apply. Um, and then understanding also, obviously, like the business value of things. So you need to also generally understand what makes your business tick, what makes your business money, what makes your business lose money, 
um, and then just kind of translate that also with user needs and then be able to prioritize. So I think, yeah, like not having a financial background definitely doesn't exclude working in fintech as a, as a product manager. I think actually most product managers that I've been exposed to in fintech don't come from a financial background at all. Um, so, yeah, I think based on also in bigger companies, like product is also wider. So you have different areas of product. So if you're coming more to product from a design angle, like I imagine you would more want to be on a more front end uh, product team where you can kind of apply kind of the skills that you have from design, understanding uh, UX um, to that. It will just maybe make you, give you a little bit of an edge. Um, whereas I think being a more, let's say entrepreneurial PM, like I think having that knowledge of finance, having that knowledge of fundraising, having that knowledge about um, what story you want to tell investors, I think has actually helped me to design the product for Koya because we built it in a view um, that we need to fundraise again and the product that we're building uh, should kind of take us to the point where we are able to prove that the company is successful enough to fundraise again. Um, so I think it just gives you, always your background can give you a unique perspective, but I think it's not um, exclusive. It doesn't limit you. Okay, that's amazing. So on the on the subject of fundraising, how involved should a product manager be in terms of investment fundraising? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one again. Like it's um, how involved should you be uh, depends per company. So I know like some companies when you're also a bit smaller, just because uh, product managers are usually good at visualizing things and telling a story to someone. Sometimes product managers also build the investor decks, um, like in smaller companies. They're also kind of very close to the value proposition. They understand the customer target and a lot of the questions that investors want answered are usually related to that at the early stages. Uh, as you grow more as a company, um, fundraising becomes kind of more financial heavy. Um, so really looking at business plans, looking at actual revenue numbers, financial predictably like the fundraising process goes more to the finance department and the CEO rather than product. But I think, yeah, like in any successful product, like especially if being really close to the customer is kind of your USP or um, that the product itself that you're providing really has kind of unique value. Um, I think definitely in, in early stage fundraising, showing prototypes, like helping people to really uh, grasp kind of what you're trying to do goes a long, long way. Um, so I think it's very easy to put like ideas on a pitch deck, um, but actually having kind of a working prototype in hand uh, makes a huge difference for investors. So yeah, I think in the early days, uh, product also is very much about validating hypotheses. You use your product mainly to validate hypotheses and, and hopefully kind of reach to a, a product market fit that you can raise money with. Um, so, yeah, products may be not directly involved with fundraising, but all the activities that product do enable the company to actually fundraise. Um, because if you don't have a product, you probably won't be able to fundraise. That's mm -hmm. amazing. Okay, I'm learning so much. I took an advantage of all these questions. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, okay, following with our tradition here at Product Pioneers, I will let you take the stage for last words what would you like to say to our to our listeners uh you're putting me on the spot um yeah i think um 
to me, uh, starting my career in, in investment banking, working in lots of different uh, companies in, in the startup space, uh, working in an incubator, working, uh, starting my own company, and now kind of in, in Koya for quite a long time in, in different roles. Um, I personally think product is the most fulfilling uh, role because it's extremely generalistic um, and you there is no kind of fixed form to it either. Um, so there is no fixed requirements, what skills you need, what you need to uh, be able to do as a product manager. I think there's just some core fundamentals and mindset um, requirements. So you need to you need to really care about the customer and what they want and, and really think customer-centric uh, in, in the way that you plan things. You need to be curious. You need to ask questions. You need to communicate a lot. So I think overall product right now, at least how I see it, is becoming also a much more desirable career path. Like when I was at university, most people at my university and business school like wanted to end up going into banking and, and finance or consulting. Uh, whereas I see much more now, for example, um, universities like Code or even in, in also in business schools, like more people graduate and their dream job is to be a product manager at Amazon or Facebook uh, relative to becoming a consultant or, or investment banker. And I think that's amazing because I think uh, product, um, at least for me, really, uh, especially at the junior level, allows you that ownership, allows you responsibility and allows you freedom to also uh, decide on what you work on uh, based on your conviction of what is actually going to work to solve certain problems. Um, and I think that's very unique because um, in most other jobs, to get to that level of, of seniority is really, really difficult, at least on the business side. And you have to really go through kind of a lot to, to get there. So I think starting your career more in, in product really um, is, is made for people that are quite like self-disciplined that like want to push themselves um, that really want to kind of uh, own something um, and see what they can actually do with it. So it is definitely challenging. Um, you will find yourself a lot in, in situations where you're swimming in super deep water and you feel that like everything is extremely overwhelming. Um, but I think um, for a lot of young people nowadays, like this is the career that they want um, to really have ownership of something that they can really impact kind of the, the course of, of their product and, and the company that they work in with the decisions that they make and not just be a cog uh, in, in the wheel in a huge company. So. Amazing last word. So here we go. So you heard it here. <laughs> we have being user centric curiosity, asking a lot of questions and communications in order for you to become a successful product manager. Kareem, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I had so much fun. I always learn a lot from you. So this is an opportunity for others to see what I'm always learning whenever I talk to Kareem Bertaji. <laughs> Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. That's a wrap. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. To sum it up for you, we talked about Kareem's experience going into product management, entrepreneurship versus product management, things to look out for when you're starting your journey as a product manager. So subscribe here so that you can get notified every time we have a new episode coming out. We would like to thank Logitech for supplying us with all these cool gadgets so that we can give you the best and most professional sound ever. Thank you, Logitech. 
And if you want to know more about our university, go to code.berlin.